is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. Yo, it's the T to the K. Live in the hive in one, two, three, four, five. How was that? That was great, man. I was about to go buzz, buzz, but then I was like, oh. oh. oh it's already bad <laughs> enough that you've got this beehive thing in my mind. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, it's good to be back. We we missed last week. I feel like, um, you know, the people the people need us back, TK. The people need us back. We let them down, man. We they let them down. They their weekly feeding, you know. We're back. We're back. It's all right. Worry no more. <laughs> so, um. Today, I've got a couple questions that came in through the website, but I want to start off talking about identity and the distinction between identity Mm. and ideology, or rather your philosophy of, say, politics or ethics or aesthetics and your philosophy of life in general and this danger of trying to make one all-encompassing. You down? Oh, man, I'm definitely down. So, um, I've got like a rant in me. Should I just rant now or should, cause, uh, uh, what? Oh man, if you got a rant, you got to let it flow, man. Okay. I feel like I got a rant. All right. I'm just, I'm going to see what happens. I'm on two cups of coffee, which is a lot for me in uh, yesterday. I actually had three and you can ask our colleague Cameron Soresby, who was working with me, how that turned out. Um, I should really never do more than one. I've got enough energy. <laughs> So, so are you sure there's nothing? Okay, let's just get to it. Let's get to this rant. So you and I talked about this. We had the Praxis weekend and um, I don't know how this came up. We were having a conversation. We, we kind of see this sometimes with people in the Praxis program. Um, I've certainly seen this with a lot of young people in other groups that are, you know, especially if they're like political or ideological groups. And that is asking Some group or network of people that are bonded around one issue, asking them to be everything to you and the danger of this approach. So let's get a little more concrete. I spent a lot of years doing stuff when I worked at the Mackinac Center Institute for Humane Studies. TK, you have spoken at places like Students for Liberty conferences as well, places where there are a lot of young people who have joined some sort of club or group around a set of shared ideas. And in this case, these are sort of like philosophical ideas, specifically political philosophy, you know, thinking Mm -hmm. that uh, having a passion for more freedom from uh, government intervention and, you know, favoring um, free markets over government violence, for example. So Mm -hmm. they come together around something like this. They join a campus club, they go to an event, they become uh, leaders or volunteers in something like this. And I think there's a tendency to immediately ask that group to be everything to you, to not just have people with a shared political philosophy, but a shared life philosophy, shared taste in movies, interest in sports, aesthetic values, religious beliefs, personal preferences, all these things. And when it's not there, there's almost like a shock or a bitterness that is is kind of really odd because you're trying to wrap this one thing, your belief about politics in this case, around your entire being and identify everything you are with this, with, you know, whatever, libertarianism, or it might be Christianity in a church setting or a particular denomination. 
and you're wrapping that and saying, this is my everything, my whole identity. And this is just really, really a bad idea for a number of reasons. I mean, one reason is it's, it's not true that all those people are going to share everything else with you. And when you discover that you're probably going to be really unhappy or frustrated or bitter. And then you'll probably do one of two things. You'll go write the expose. You'll leave. You'll have a big dramatic, you know, I left the Christian church because they weren't, you know, whatever. Nobody there was into bodybuilding, you know, and it's like you're asking of them something they cannot do. They're there around a shared re religious belief or, you know, the, the famous like I left libertarianism articles that always come out every couple of years. They're published, you know, somewhere and they're always silly. Like, I mean, they're, they're never about the actual thing that supposedly say libertarianism is about a set of sort of political philosoph philosophic ideas. And they're never from people who really based their involvement in that group on those ideas in the first place. It was like a social cultural identity. And it's like, I left because not enough people there cared about the things I care about, which usually were not the philosophical things. They're usually like, you know, oh, people there, they're, they're too interested in economics and they need to be more interested in healthy food or some, you know, something like that. And it's like, well, that's not why they're together. So understanding. And so, so you'll either be bitter and write some like silly expose, or you'll be this constant crusader trying to police some movement, some cluster of people banded around a set of ideas and trying to get them all to be more like you in everything. You know, we have Praxis and it is an incredibly diverse group. The, the thing that unites everybody who participates in this program and even sort of broader, the community of, of fans and allies of the program is a relentless focus on self-directed learning and living, understanding that outside of sort of a formal conveyor belt system where everyone's kind of, you know, educated in the same way and chasing credentials, you can go decide who you want to be, what kind of life you want to live, and you can build it yourself. You can get yourself in the door in creative ways, create something that's better than a paper credential. Okay. So this is a philosophy of kind of education and career success that people share in common. And a lot of young people, will be like, oh my gosh, finally, for the first time, someone understands me. I'm bored in school. I've never liked it. I've always thought that it was empty. I feel like I can move faster. I can do something. Now they've found people who are talking like that in this realm and saying, yeah. And there's this like assumption that those people are also going to share every other belief you have, political, religious, personal preferences, whatever. And that's always a recipe for some kind of like disillusionment or frustration or, um, I don't think it, I don't think it helps. And I think, you know, part of this is probably because when you're young, almost everybody, like if you go to church with people or go to school with people, probably the people you hang out with, if you're a jock in high school and you hang out with jocks, they probably all like the same movies. They probably all live in roughly the same type of neighborhood. They probably all have this roughly the same religious beliefs. Like for a long time in life, especially kind of when you're in, in a school setting and in neighborhoods and whatever, where you're all with like minded people, that is true that the people at your church are also the people at your baseball game. And they're also the people that, you know, you share everything in common with a lot of people, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, I like it's awful, but so it's, it's sometimes a shock for people to, to find those who are really passionate about one thing can be totally different in other areas. And I think the sooner you can stop demanding your ideology, your political philosophy, your religious beliefs, whatever it might be, your aesthetic preferences, your thoughts on nutrition and health, Stop demanding that that be your all-consuming identity and stop going around being like, oh, well, vegetarians all need to be more like this. It makes me really mad. They make us look bad. I mean, there's a collective identity. Like, look, mm -hmm. the thing you share with vegetarians is vegetarianism. That's it. 
you don't need to ask them all to be, you know, or more vegetarians should also be libertarians or whatever. Like just, you know, understanding oh, yeah. that your, your network, I'm almost done. This has been a long rant that your, your network is a diverse set of people with whom you may only share one thing. It may be a really core important thing. Maybe you've got five core things that matter to you. And there may only be a handful of people with whom you share all five. I mean, like for me, my wife and I are on the same page with pretty much all of those core things. Um, and other than that, it's a very small number of friends. And really, even if I would say my closest friends, like when it comes to something like beliefs about, you know, religion or the existence of God, there's not even consistency there. Like I've got a couple atheist friends, a couple agnostic friends, a couple Christian friends, and a couple sort of broadly theistic friends in sort of my close circle, if you will. Um, so even there, there's diversity. There isn't this one shared mono identity. And the, the more you can realize, what are you going to get when you go to this one group and join this one club or whatever? you're going to get the one thing they're passionate about. And that's okay. You don't need more from them. You can have an identity that's bigger than that, that's consistent with it, but bigger than it. It doesn't need to be your all-consuming life identity. All right, thoughts, TK? Man, that's a good rant, first of all. So I have this principle I live by. I don't have a name for it yet, so you might help me. You might need to help me develop a name for it because I like to have names for principles. Uh, but the basic idea is that for every relationship you have, you need another relationship to help you deal with all the frustrating aspects of the first one. But then once you have that second relationship, you need a third relationship to help you deal with the frustrations and limitations inherent in the second relationship and on and on. And I think this same thing applies to communities. So here's the problem. You talk about this distinction between communities and concepts where we build these communities around concepts that we share in common. And even though we might find ourselves to be believers in the concepts, there are frustrating aspects of the community because every community is inherently limited that sort of make us roll our eyes. And that's not the problem. The problem isn't that our communities disappoint us. You know, I, I'm, so for instance, I was at a libertarian event talking with another person about basketball and we were having a great conversation about the NBA playoffs. And he says, man, we need more libertarians to be in the basketball. You know? <laughs> no, you just need to go hang out with your basketball friends when you want to talk about basketball. Right, 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 right. So like, why do you need those two groups to be the same? Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 totally, man. And, and so here's the problem. The real problem is a scarcity mindset. If you find yourself in a room full of people who roll their eyes at you when you mention Steph Curry or LeBron James because they, they just don't get it. It's not a problem if you feel like an oddball or even if you feel annoyed. The problem is the scarcity mindset that says, I can only enjoy this part of me if I force these people over here to become, you know, compatible with that. And, and, and you know, as an individual, you have to, you know, enjoy the communities that you're a part of, but also recognize that you have the flexibility and fluidity to move in and out of different communities yes. and not define yourself by your membership to one community. And, and, and it doesn't mean that you're being unfaithful to the other. So if you are a Christian and you go to a church, OK, it's it's actually healthy and honest for you to begin by saying, 
all of my needs cannot be met by this church community. You're going to get far more out of the people who attend that church with you if you're honest with yourself up front, that I am interested in things and passionate about things that people at this church might not understand. I might get lucky and, and, they, and, and, and they might get a lot of those things, but I am going to need to develop friends outside of this community. And I, and I need to give myself permission to do that without looking at it as a form of disloyalty. And, and, and that's not just good for you and you know uh, your social network, but that's also good for the health of the relationship because the, the, the more realistic your expectations are, the less time you spend being unnecessarily angry at people, you know? Dude, something happened and your Dr. Phil impersonation almost crept in. <laughs> you go, that's not just good for you, <laughs> relationships. You know what? You know what? What makes me mad is we have a lot of deadbeat dads <laughs> who, who don't want to be a part of a community of hardworking people, you know? <laughs> hey, so what's cool about this approach is that it, it lets you, you know, we talk a lot about being interested and yeah. how to be an interesting person, which opens up a ton of opportunities and is just generally more fun and, and you can be influential and whatnot. You have to first be interested. And when you start to adopt this, this mindset and start to not ask so much out of any given social circle that you have, some, you know, something in common with, it lets you be more interested. So, you know, you can make friends with a much more diverse number of people or just acquaintances or just have interesting conversations if you understand that they're not going to share everything. So why not find the one thing where there is some overlap? You know, when you get in the in the car with your Uber driver and they start asking you, as my, mine did recently, your thoughts on uh, fiat currency and the money supply and whatever – this is cool. I can have a really interesting conversation with this guy about this one thing, even though I could tell from all kinds of signals in the conversation that he would probably have radically divergent views about my sort of broader uh, apolitical mm -hmm. beliefs or not, you know, political atheism, so to speak. Um, probably my religious beliefs, probably my beliefs on education. And those things are not that far removed from this discussion. But if I just understand, those are just not, we're not going to share anything there. Who cares? This is kind of fun. Let's see where we get talking about, you know, fiat currency. And it allows you to have interesting conversations with a ton more people. And do not misunderstand me. This is not me saying you need to talk to those who disagree with you. You know, we was like what people often say in these movies. We need to engage those who disagree. You need to read the ideas that are counter to yours. I actually think that's almost always a waste of time. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying if you believe something and you know a lot about it, you must go out there and earn points by saying, I, re I read all the things I disagree with, or I, I talk with, you know, the enemy. Like that whole paradigm <laughs> right. is what's wrong, right? You're, you're identifying it as this binary thing, the people on one side of, you know, everything and the people on the other side. No, no, no. Don't do that at all. Don't waste your time. Like if you have a really strong belief about uh, Steph Curry and Golden State and somebody else has an op opposing belief and you know you're not going to just forget it. Who cares? You know, you have really strong opinions on, you know, economics or whatever. And somebody else has a totally opposite opinion. You know, you share no common assumptions. I just think that's silly. And I think it's dumb to pretend like, oh, we need more of this. What I am saying is the people. So it's not oh, you have to engage ideas that you have already searched out and think are wrong, like that there's some virtue in that. But it's the people in different contexts. So if you know that you disagree about 
paleo diets, you know, uh, police misconduct. I need another P preachers, uh, you know, whatever it might be, prescription drugs, all, you know, with one person. Don't talk about any of those and don't demand that they have any of those in common. See if you can find something else that's interesting that you, that you can engage on. And you may never be friends with that person. You may need some certain level of core beliefs in common to develop a friendship or a certain level of friendship, but you certainly don't have interesting conversations. Um, so, I mean, just looking at everyone, I almost do this calculation like, okay, here's somebody they are like as far away from me as possible on almost everything. So where's the 5%? Where's the 5% that we're going to have some interesting conversations about that are not going to be like just hostile and misunderstanding for other people. It's 50% or 90%. And usually people fight the most with those with whom it's like 80, 90%. You know, it's like, they just can't stand that. Oh, you, yeah. can't oh, yeah. that other, you know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. anyway, yeah. I mean, it just, I think it makes life more interesting. And, and it's a really selfish thing to do. A lot of people can hear a rant like this and just hear it as, Oh, you guys are irritated with me for wanting more out of community X. But no, 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 no. We want you to get the most out of your life. And the more realistic your expectations are, the more open minded you are, the less of a scarcity mindset you have about relationships and the kinds of communities you can build and be a part of, the more the more of a fuller experience of life you're going to have. You know, we, we, we brought up basketball a lot, which is obviously a point of interest between you and I. But my wife is so not interested in basketball, just completely uninterested. I, I tried the whole routine of, of, of negotiating <laughs> with her and getting her to watch a game with me. And the, the two times I succeeded at doing it, um, I, I mean, it was just so disappointing for me that I don't even want her watching basketball with me anymore. I don't Kill I don't want to put yeah, I don't want to put her through that because it's just it's sort of like, so how much time is left in the game? It says five minutes, but it's already been 10. Like how much time is left? It's torture for her. And then I don't really get to enjoy it. And it's like, why would you want to do that to someone else? And why would you want to do that to yourself? Just let go of those expectations and your world becomes so much bigger, man. So much bigger. So you reference what brought this up. So I, I do want to bring this up because it actually was a, a Praxis related thing. We just had our Praxis weekend in, in Austin uh, this past weekend. And part of what the participants was did. Uh, awesome. Some man, really, it was an awesome time. Very impressive participants and yes. alumni. So, so one of the things we did was we did a a, a pitch competition, and, and the judgment was uh, was American Idol style. We mixed it up a little bit. Isaac was Simon, I, I was Randy. What up, dog? And Derek was Paula Abdul. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we decided because he was the prettiest, <laughs> and he had the most celebrity status. Yep. That's why we made him Paula. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so we had this pitch competition, and there's a moment where one of the guys delivering a pitch. He says he's talking about about gold and silver. And he says, I know, you know, everyone here is probably libertarian. And it was an interesting moment because not only was the statement false, but why did he believe that? Where did he get that from? So it just so happens to be the case that all of the guys on the Praxis teams team are, are big proponents of the idea that entrepreneurship is a viable theory of social change. We believe that you can make the world a freer place by being entrepreneurial, giving people more options for how they can express and experience freedom and fight for freedom. That is an idea that is very, very like compatible with a lot of the underlying convictions of many libertarians, anarcho-capitalists, and things along those lines. And so 
we have attracted a lot of interest from that crowd. So here's a guy who was attracted from that crowd, feels like, wow, I get to be a part of this entrepreneurial community where we believe that entrepreneurship is not just a way to make money, but also a way to make the world a freer place. And, and, and there's sort of like this immediate tendency to think that, yeah, we're all probably alike on other things. Now, when we pointed this out to him, he got it, right? Like, oh man, it makes so much sense. But the reason it was important for us to point this out to him wasn't because we felt like he was hurting our branding. Like, no, 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 no. Like, like, please don't say that. We don't want people to know that there are libertarians who are a part of Praxis, but it actually hurt his presentation because by, by making that statement and making that assumption, he immediately alienated all the people in the room that were not aligned with that political ideology. This and, happens, and it sort of and it hurt his pitch. This is like one of those, I've seen this so many times when a speaker comes, often it's like a bigger name speaker who's brought into an event and it's clear they've got some association in their mind with what this event is that their secretary booked for them to go speak at. And they get up and they make some statement that reveals, they walk in assuming that because an event is about you know, X that everybody there also has Y attributes. And when they get it wrong, it is such an awkward, cringeworthy moment. Even if they give a killer presentation or speech after that, like it was like, Hey, good speech to the wrong crowd. Like, it's just weird. Like I've noticed that. So this is why uh, just another reason to not have these, bring these assumptions with you to, uh, to not desire them and to not assume them that, you know, if I go and speak at the uh, whatever monogamy convention, I'm, I can't assume everybody that are believes in God, you know, and I can't get up and make a, a talk based on that. Right. So to understand what is and this is actually a great question to ask yourself of your own businesses and projects or of other people's businesses or organizations. What is the one core thing? What really holds it together? You know, take a company like Apple, like okay, what do we associate Apple with? You know, beards and coffee shops and, and, you know, people that will, if you say anything negative about Apple on Facebook, it will result in like a 50 thread, you know, comments thread. Um, that's what you, that's what I might associate it with, but that's not really the core thing that binds Apple, the company together. They have a mission that's something different than that. It, it's often associated with these things, but I think that's really important to try to ask yourself, what is the core thing that brings these people here? And that's the only thing that I want to bring in as an assumption. I want to bring that everybody is here for this thing. Now they may, 90% of them may share a bunch of other things in common, but they may not. And I don't want to assume that. I don't want to demand that of them. I don't want to be caught off guard. I don't want to be disappointed or disillusioned if that's not the case. You know, I think that's, I think that's really, really important. That's where the most sort of like scandal and frustration and talking past each other and unnecessary stuff happens is assuming too much. Now, again, stereotypes are valuable mental shortcuts that like they're going to happen regardless. And I don't think there's anything morally good or bad about saying, you know, if I go to a, a whatever, a particular, if I go to a, a Grateful Dead concert, you know, um, I'm going to see people who enjoy weed and, uh, you know, have long shaggy hair or something like that. Like that's that assumption exists for a reason. But I think understanding what it is, understanding that it's sort of a correlation and not assuming that that is the core thing that binds these people together, you know? Oh, absolutely, man. This, this reminds me, by the way, this funny experience I used to have 
my brothers and I would go play basketball when we were in high school all the time. Almost every night we'd go to the Y or to a park. And we had this friend. Dude, I know uh, where this, this is going. I'm so excited. <laughs> this, this Italian kid named Rick. And Rick was a baller, dude. I mean, this guy's handles were sick. His jump shot was sick. I mean, this dude would just scorch anyone. And he was a pretty short guy, too. So if you just looked at his physique, you would think, oh, I can handle this dude. I can bully this dude. And so we, we would go to these parks and it'd just be all black guys. And Rick is this short, skinny white guy. And Rick would get on the court and just annihilate whoever was guarding him. And it was always so funny to see how excited people were to guard him. Oh, I got this dude. I got this little dude right here. I got this little dude. And Rick would just annihilate him. It, it, it'd be like watching Steph Curry shoot threes over these seven-foot guys, shaking and baking and all this kind of stuff. And without fail, man, almost every night, some guy would walk up to me and – there was nothing about Rick's physical appearance that justified this question. But some guy would walk up to me and be like, hey, um, your boy, is he mixed? And I, I, I'd be like, huh? I'd be like, is, is he mixed? And I'd be like, no, that, that was a white dude. That was a white dude killing you on the basketball court like that. You know, and, and you, could, you could see these guys just ha having to make this mental adjustment in their worldview. Like their worldview just wasn't big enough to accommodate the possibility that this is something that could be done to them on a basketball court by a white guy. And you just see their paradigm being shattered right before their eyes. And it, it was the most enjoyable experience. But I, I feel like there is a a social version of this, right? We all need our paradigm wait, wait a minute. shattered. You're not going to tell them the twist? <laughs> wait, wait, what's the twist? That I am Rick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I feel like I feel like I need a rematch on the basketball court with you before I turn. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, you you don't feel like that. If you felt like that, you would stop <laughs> not bringing your shoes every time we're together. We've been together twice in the last three weeks, and you haven't had any shoes to play. Yeah, basketball. see, yeah, see, because the fact you know that's a good excuse for me, but I, I see you're never gonna let this go. So I'm going to say it on the air, man. I'm 1-0 right now. <laughs> it's, it's all good, man. LeBron was down 3-1. to one. Oh, why did I use that? Um, why did I use that? <laughs> Go back and delete so this part. So that's why you're waiting until you find your Kyrie. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, so anyway, I mean, you know, that, that whole story about my friend. I mean, I, I think I think we all need our paradigm shattered, you know, in a similar way. But, you know, going back to something you said, you, you mentioned how you have to ask yourself these basic questions. Like when you go to an event, when you go to some become a part of some community, you got to ask yourself, what am I here for? Am I here to meet my soulmate? Am I here to meet my best, best, best friend in the world? Or am I here to learn something specific? Am I here to create something specific? Am I here to enjoy the game? Am I here to become a better entrepreneur? Because when you get selfish and you make what you're trying to learn or what you're trying to create the fundamental aim, then you actually don't even need to hear us say this kind of stuff. Yeah. But what, what happens is we sort of, we're not really honest with ourselves about why we become a part of communities or, or we're not exactly clear with ourselves about what our underlying why is. And I think that's where all the the confusion emanates yeah. from. Yeah, you know, you don't, when you I, don't need your philosophy to also be your best friend and your buddy and your girlfriend. And you know, you don't, you don't need your wife to be your best friend in the world. Man, when I hang out with my buddy, <laughs> you didn't even catch it. 
Oh, I got it. My best friend in the world. <laughs> Just making fun of you. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. I, I, I couldn't help myself. No, man, I, I love it. I love it, man. No, you know, um, you know, when, when I hang out with my buddy Paige, it's it's the most hilarious thing because him and I can talk for hours, we can hang for hours, and we can have an amazing conversation. But ninety percent of the things that I enjoy in life are completely boring to this dude, and I cannot talk to him about those things without him loudly protesting and shutting me down <laughs> hardcore. Right. But it doesn't affect our friendship at all, because when I hang out with him, I'm not looking for someone to be in love with every single part of T.K. Coleman's personality. I'm looking for one thing. I'm looking to have a good time in the way we have learned to have a good time over the years. And when you do that, you become an individual who can move in and out of different communities, take value and give take value from every community, give value to every community without limiting your identity to any any one specific yeah, and, the, and this is not about morality. Your story about Rick, I think it's really easy to walk away with some sort of moral message about, you know, yeah, Rick, Rick was done wrong. That's offensive, you know, that they assumed he could only play well if he was, you know, mixed or whatever. That's that's not the point at all. Who cares? There's no morality involved here. It's not about right or wrong. And and you know, Rick wasn't done wrong by. It's about the person with that assumption. It's about effectiveness in achieving your own ends. It's about they would actually have a more effective time navigating the world if they were a little bit more cautious about those assumptions. So it's not, you know, this is wrong to assume this or demand that. None of that. We're not talking about morality here. We're talking about the way to enhance your interestedness, your how interesting you are, how interested you are, your the value of your network and friendships, your own happiness, by just putting in perspective what things are and not asking them to be something more than that and being aware of what what need are you trying to meet out of this you know when someone's like well i don't like libertarians because they all wear trench coats and black nail polish or or whatever that seems so silly to me it's like but libertarianism never claimed to be a fashion sense it's a set of political like you don't like people who hold these political ideas you don't like that part of them that identifies with a political philosophy because of something completely unrelated to a political philosophy, right? Like that's, it's about the ideas and the philosophy. You either respect that or you don't, you either get value in that or you don't. It's not, you know, you might not want to go hang out at that if you don't enjoy hanging out with certain people, even if you share their beliefs, but that's different than like, I have a problem with Christianity because they all drive boring cars. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> I mean, you're asking too much of it. Like, you know, Christianity never, never pretended to be uh, a hot rod club or whatever. So anyway, I think I think the point has been made. You you seem like you're stewing on something. <laughs> well, since you brought up Christianity, it reminds me of something that a friend told me about, about churches. He says, there is no such thing as a perfect church. And if there was, it would stop being perfect the moment you started attending. That's you know, what, and I, I think there's a HL Mencken says, uh, I would, I would never join any club that would have me as a member. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that, man. I love that. I mean, it, it captures everything we're saying about communities. There are no perfect communities, you know, um, they, they will all let you down and break your heart and you will always let the people in your community down, whether you intend it to or not. And, and, and the message is not, Hey, there are no perfect communities. Therefore be loyal to the communities that let you down. No, 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 no. 
Be loyal to getting what you need, whether it's in, through one community or an entirely different community. That yeah. doesn't mean never leave a community, but focus more on what you need and rather without, than like, on what the community is. Without being bitter and angry at some community for not being something that it never was intended to be, you know? Um, Heck yeah. Hey, you mentioned, you mentioned something. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was just so funny to me. You were just making a point and you said, you know, let's say you want to join community X and immediately my ears perked up because I just imagined, like, I know you meant just X as in a placeholder for anything, <laughs> but I, I immediately imagine this being like a real community that you know about and you're a part of. Like, I swear someday you're going to say, Isaac, I'm leaving Praxis to join community X. Like, it sounds like a project that you would be involved in. Dude, I'm going to let you know that you've already been a member of Community X for 10 years, but now <laughs> it's time for me to make it known. <laughs> Man, one, one last thing on this about sports, as weird as it sounds, because sports seems to be like the lowest stakes, like most broadly chit-chatable topic. But when it, <laughs> for me, it's probably the area where I have the fewest number of people I can like really relate to. Like when I watch sports. I don't even want to watch sports like you, maybe my brother, if it's football, not with basketball. I, I like you're the only people. There's a very small number of people that I actually want to watch sports with because my, the way that I want to experience it is so like overly dramatic and intense. Like I immerse myself in this thing and it's all enjoyable for me. But everyone else, even if they're a sports fan, but they're like the kind of sports fan who's just sort of like, oh, yeah, well, I don't really have a a horse in this race. You know, I don't, I don't care. Like I don't watch sports that way. <laughs> you know, like I can't share that. It's sacred. I can only share it with certain people. It's very intense. Oh dude, we talked about this before, how we spend most of our lives, you know, focusing on how to respond to situations in an empowered way and never giving up our power to external conditions. But sports is like the one exception. It's like the, the one, the one moment where I voluntarily hand my personal power over to referees and athletes for, for the thrill and adventure to, of seeing what they do with it, right? <laughs> so I am genuinely unhappy that the Warriors lost the finals. I'm genuinely unhappy. Like my, if, if my maximum quality of life was, let's say, on a scale of 1 to 100, if the best I could ever do was 94, that number is now like 87 because the Warriors <laughs> lost the finals. <laughs> and I know I could change that by easily altering some beliefs, but I choose not to. I choose not to. And, and so that means there are only about three or four people that I can really watch sports with and just have a great time. But if I'm watching it with other people like family and stuff, I kind of got to scale back a little bit and pretend to be a little less involved than I am. Yeah. I'd almost just rather not have it on at all. If it comes to that. <laughs> so, um, so I got two, two questions from the website. Uh, if you go to isaacmorehouse.com uh, slash ask dash Isaac, or just go to the main website, you'll see it. You can submit questions anytime. Um, and of course, Facebook, email, all that stuff works. So I've got the first one from Leonard Marino. And Leonard says, how do you tell the difference between doing stuff you, oh, hold on. I just uh, formatted this so that I couldn't see it. One second. All right. How do you tell the difference between doing stuff you genuinely hate and doing stuff that massively challenges you? At what point does pushing your limit and your comfort zone become an attempt to be someone that you're not. So there's two questions. The first one, what's, where's the line between doing something you hate and doing something massively challenging? Um, and then the second one, 
pushing your limits and your comfort zone, when does that actually become an attempt to be someone you're not? So, so in the first one, it's, it's, um, I almost see them as like opposite direction. So when, if you're avoiding stuff you hate, does that mean you might act in, you be in danger of avoiding stuff that you don't hate, but that's just hard work. And then the other one sounds like if you're going after things that are challenging intentionally to make yourself better, are you in danger of ending up doing things that you hate or trying to become someone that you're not? Um, why don't you take a stab at that, TK? Yeah. So, you know, I think we have to make a distinction between results and processes, right? So a result is an end that you have in mind. It, it, it's it's your underlying why. This is what I want to have. A process is something that you have to go through in order to get that result. And for the most part, processes tend to be uncomfortable or at least have uncomfortable elements that we have to endure. So when people say, oh, I hate doing X, what that often means is, I'm uncomfortable with certain aspects of this process, right? So how do you know the difference between doing something you genuinely hate or just having to put up with temporary discomfort? You ask yourself, what's the result? What's my underlying why? Am I doing this because I have been duped into thinking that I don't have any other options? Am I doing this out of fear of making someone angry or disappointed in me? Or am I doing this because this genuinely expresses something I want out of life. As far as this whole bit about, you know, doing things that are challenging for the sake of being challenged, I, I don't think there's any inherent value to discipline. And this is one of the problems with the schooled mindset. We we let authority figures pick the assignments, which is actually the most important part. Picking the assignment is almost as important as doing the assignment, if not more important. And then we, we say, okay, you have to do the work of going through the process, exercising discipline in order to complete this assignment, as if there's something valuable about learning discipline for the sake of learning discipline. The reality is, in order to get anything you want in life, you're going to have to work hard for it. You're going to have to focus and do all of the things that we think you'll need to do when you have discipline. And since people naturally have desires, then, then reality itself is going to teach people how to exercise the focus and persistence necessary to fulfill their desires. So I don't think you need to teach discipline, nor do I believe you need to do things just to improve your discipline. It all begins with asking yourself, what do you want? What are the results you want to create? What are the things that matter to, to you? Not just your parents, not just the authority figures in your life, not just your pastor, not just your friends, not just the peers around you. What do you want to do for you? What fires you up and what turns you on? And then if you go after it, you'll know the difference between merely being uncomfortable for a period of time and actually hating what you do. I heard it said once that, a champion is someone who's willing to do what he hates in order to create what he loves. I don't think that contradicts the idea of don't do stuff that you hate. But what it's really saying there is that the difference between a champion and a chump is that when you experience discomfort, it's not because you believe discipline is inherently good or because you're doing stuff that you doing stuff that you think you have to do. It's because you're going after something that's so much better than that, that you really want for yourself, that it makes that uncomfortable stuff just a mere byproduct. Yeah. <clears throat> Quick uh, plug for uh, my new book titled Don't Do Stuff You Hate, uh, which should be available for pre-order, I would guess, maybe even this weekend. Uh, but if you go to don'tdostuffyouhate.com or isaacmorehouse.com, 
you can actually sign up to get notified. But this is this is huge. This don't. What's the difference between doing things you hate and doing things challenging? I think it's actually much easier to resolve than we often assume. Um, hard work and hate are not the same thing. And again, this sort of schooled mindset has made us conflate these terms. Like we assume that discomfort and hard work or challenge are the same thing or, you know, things you hate doing are the things that are hard. That's only because you're, you're growing up being arbitrarily given things that have no meaning to you and they're hard. And you're told work through them. You're told overcoming hardship is a good thing, blah, blah, blah. Well, that part's true, but it's only true if the thing that's hard has meaning to you, is intrinsically interesting to you, you're, you're motivated by it. If it's not, there is no virtue in discipline and hard work. And so just assuming that it's good across the board is I think where we, where we tend to conflate these things and, we, and so we, we grow up associating things we hate with things that are hard work. You can find that this is untrue very easily from observing children playing a game, a video game, a real life game, building with Legos, I mean, from a very young age, things that they are choosing to do and that they will tell you they love and they're happy with. But half the time, they look frustrated. They can't get the blocks to stack. They keep falling down and they keep doing it again. Maybe they even scream and throw something. They're frustrated. They're overcoming a challenge. And that's part of the fun. You know, the kid when they're like first learning to swim or throw a ball, they keep messing up and they just keep making you do it with them over and over again. And sometimes they're smiling, sometimes they're not. But no one would say they're doing something they hate. This is meaningful to them and it's hard work. I would argue that all the stuff you genuinely love is also the stuff that presents the most genuine challenge to you. That's genuinely challenging and hard, but you love it. So don't do stuff you hate that makes you feel dead inside, that has no meaning to it inherently, that you have nothing about it calls to you. Screw that stuff. There's no value in like learning to work hard through that you're going to have to work hard at the stuff you love anyway. So if you value hard work, you're going to get it, but you might as well get it pursuing something that actually matters. And the idea of at what point does pushing your limits and comfort zone uh, become an attempt to, to be someone that you're not, the minute that you're doing it just for its own sake, like just to uh, feel virtuous that you're working hard. Again, if you're pursuing some end that you value and that's meaningful to you, you, you're not going to, I mean, becoming someone that you're not, I don't know that that's even a good or a bad concept. Like maybe I want to be a person who is more, uh, physically fit and I'm not in that case, I want to become someone that I'm not right. So I guess it's, it, it matters if you value that end. And if it's something that you have chosen in that case, the hard work is great. If you're just doing it to do it, then it's not. Or if you're just doing it because you're like, I want to, I want to, you know, be a kind of person that can suffer. Like why? That's ridiculous to me. That's that's like anti-life. That's the opposite of <laughs> the point of existence is to have some sort of meaning, some value. Um, that made me think of a uh, great book, Viktor Frankl, uh, Man's Search for mm -hmm. Meaning. That That is so fundamental. Um, I, I think I, I have to weigh in here because I think there's a detrimental mentality that is behind a lot of questions like this and we need to touch on it. That mentality is I'm afraid of not doing something that might surprisingly benefit me. 
I, I, I think that mentality yeah. underlies a yeah. lot of, you know, well, it's, it's, the old, it's the old like, well, you can't you can't, you know, crap on schools or, you know, authoritarian parenting because I was made to play the violin and it ended up benefiting me. You know what? If, oh, yeah. What if there's stuff like that that's out there, you know? Yeah. Well, well there, there are two problems with that line of thinking. Number one, if that's true, then it's true for everything. So you might as well do what you want to do, right? Like if, if there are unknown variables that might somehow benefit you that you can't know at the time of the decision, then you might as well do what you want because everything is like that. But here's the most important thing. This blatantly contradicts what we intuitively know about making good choices in everyday life. When a person goes to a restaurant, imagine this. Imagine someone chooses what they eat by saying, I'm just going to randomly pick a restaurant. I'm going to walk in and close my eyes and randomly pick something that's on the menu and I'm going to order it because, hey, who knows? It might turn out to be good. But that's not what we do. Right. We're very deliberate about the restaurant we choose, what we order. And we base that on a number of factors that we have about everything from our taste, our diet and all that all that kind of stuff. Or how about when we buy shoes or when we, when we pick a book to read? Do we just walk into the store and say, I'm going to randomly buy anything here because, hey, even though I wear a size eight and I just happen to buy a pair of shoes that are size four, something good could come out of it. Maybe hey, I'm, I can I'm, end up. I'm not going to pull know. this splinter out because you never know. It could result in me, you know, developing some some good positive outcome I never could have foreseen. Yeah, man, it might it might really build character. And those shoes I bought, I, I might end up giving those to a kid and it changes his life. I mean, you you can you can drive yourself crazy yeah. with this kind of thinking. Everything you do might have some benefit you can't anticipate, but you can't make decisions based on that possibility alone. You've got to make decisions based on what you know you want and what you have evidence for believing will actually move you in that, that direction. That is such a hugely important point. I, I actually did a whole rant on this on a previous episode. Um, I won't repeat it, but it, you know, just this, yeah, but you never know if, if, you know, um, kids are made to take music lessons, you know, that they'll benefit in some way. And I mean, just the, the logic that, that style of argument is so obviously faulty, you know, I mean, I could guarantee you would come up with some benefits if I, you know, just, I think the example that I use, if I like locked you up in my garage for a year and forced you to listen to the Beatles nonstop, I guarantee you would walk away with something you didn't previously have. And that something could benefit you at some moments in your life. Your knowledge of the Beatles catalog would somehow in some ways open doors for you in certain contexts. And you would not have had it if I didn't do this. So would anyone say, therefore I should lock TK in my garage and force him to listen to the Beatles. I mean, it's just absurd. It's a, it's a terrible way to structure an argument. Like, well, if I don't suffer, who knows what I could be missing out on? You, know, you could say the same. If, if I don't enjoy myself, who knows what I could be missing out on? Both are true. So why why do the one over the other? Um, and now for my next PDP, I'm going to live in your garage for a month and only <laughs> listen to the Beatles and then write a blog about it. <laughs> the problem is you have so mastered tough-minded optimism that wouldn't even be torture for you. You'd somehow like, you know, find a way to be, this is great guys. I'm finally able to just shut everything out and concentrate. I'll, I'll do a whole series on how I beat the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Next so, question. Let's so move the on. next question is from uh, David Richelson and David says, is it better to have a bucket list that's too long or too short if you absolutely had to choose? So let me try this one first. Even though I actually did like a send me your bucket list contest and I'll send you some free books uh, 
maybe six months ago or something like that. I actually, in thinking about this question, I don't like bucket lists. I actually think it's better to have one that doesn't exist at all. So I guess I would say too short if you had to answer the way the question is structured. But I guess I don't like bucket lists all that much. It's not like I think like, oh, they're bad. Oh, your bucket list is going to damage you. I mean, if they, if it works for you, awesome. But, I, you know, I've tried bucket lists before and had sort of loose like, oh, I want to do this before I die, whatever. And the more I've thought about it, the more the whole concept just seems kind of silly to me. Like the world is so vast and fascinating to me. My bucket list is like, I want all the things. I want to experience all the things and toy with all the ideas and go to all the places in some sense, it's all interesting to me and fascinating. In another sense, I don't have that. I, I don't like that desperate uh, mindset mindset of lack that feels like, oh my gosh, I'm running out of time. And a bucket list can sort of make you feel like you're running out of time and make you stressed. And at the same time, make you more limited in your curiosities. If it's all focused around the few items you've chosen there, then it almost kind of closes off your interest because you're kind of afraid to keep adding things to it because then it defeats the purpose, which I would say good. But then at the same time, the fact that like it's there, you can feel a little stressed. I mean, it's, 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 there's some similarity to what we've, we've talked about with goals on here before that I'm not a big fan of goals of like big long-term goals. The, the goals that I like are the kind of person I want to be and become, not what kind of external trappings I want and what kind of like activities to do so much. But I want to be this type of person and here are some obstacles um, that are maybe in the way of that. And let me structure some activities and processes that I think will remove those obstacles and chisel away this, the, the gunk that's impeding me becoming the kind of person I want to be. And the more I do that, okay, I want to be someone who can think clearly and do X, Y, and Z and have opportunities to speak. So what's in the way of that? Um, I think writing every day will help me chisel away the cobwebs in my mind, my inability to deal with complex ideas in simple language. So I'll write every day and that's a process. And then that process leads to cool things like publishing books and doing speaking that if I had made those my goal, I want to publish a book. I probably wouldn't have done it. It would have been too big. It would have been too scary. So I feel similar with bucket lists. Like I'd rather just never do stuff I hate and always try to be doing things that are interesting by that, by that negative process of eliminating things that are uninteresting. And like, I would rather do a reverse bucket list where I look back and say, what are all the cool things that I checked off my bucket without even ahead of time, knowing that they were going to be cool or knowing that I was going to check them off. Mm. You want to know what was on my bucket list at 16? What? It was to own do a, do a podcast with Isaac. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they hadn't even invented radio yet. They barely started having a talkies. <laughs> it was to do a Dr. Phil impersonation on this show. No, my bucket list when I was 16, man, it was seriously to own all the complete DVD set for the Twilight Zone. I thought that was going to be one of the coolest things. I thought I needed to be rich to do that because at that um, – Wait, didn't, didn't I mean, me and Heather buy that for you? No, no. Uh, what you guys got me was uh, a, D, um, a documentary on on the life oh, of Rod. We must have looked at the complete set, and it must have cost way too much. <laughs> yeah, it cost. And, too and much. that in that bucket of quarters we stole from you didn't cover. <laughs> I was like, this dude ain't that important. You're like, so, uh, no, you didn't. You got me a little comic book. It was, you know, five. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Go ahead. So that was so at sixteen. That was actually like your goal. Like that signified some level of achievement for you. Yeah, I thought that was a really difficult thing to do. I thought it would be really expensive. I thought I would need to be rich and have all a whole lot of space in my home to have all this. 
And what's hilarious now is just by subscribing to Amazon Prime, I have access to all of those Twilight Zone episodes and I, I don't have any desire or need to own, you know, uh, the, the physical copies of them. So this brings up a good point. That's, uh, that's, uh, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Ooh, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. When, when I first started working at uh, American Express, this was my first job after college. I remember talking to a guy. He, he, he was about 10 years older than me. And he, and he said, he goes, if I were to have you write down your concept of the good life on a sheet of paper right now, and, and I showed you that sheet of paper in 10 years, you would laugh. You would absolutely laugh your ass off because your concept of what it means to live a good life, of what it means to do amazing stuff is always evolving if you're constantly growing and challenging yourself as a person. So what, one of the pieces of advice I give to people in an age where we're constantly telling young people, follow your dreams and follow your passions, Yes, I endorse that, but I also say while you're following your dreams and passions, don't forget to let your dreams and passions follow you because as you follow your dreams and passions, you will change, you will grow, you will discover new interests and new parts of yourself and you need to upgrade and update your dreams to reflect your ever-evolving self. So I would say throw out the bucket list and instead of, instead of feeling committed to something that you decided you needed to do before you die, five years ago or 10 years ago, just do what you want to do right now. And if you're always evolving, that won't be scary because now becomes this ongoing spectacular phenomenon that's always filled with interesting stuff you want to do. Whoo. I like it, dude. I think we should end right here. What do you think? That's it, man. All right. (laughs) Recommendation this week. Recommendation this week. I don't know if I have recommended it before, but I've been discussing with a lot of Praxis participants, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Cheesy title, I know, guys, but it's one of the best books you can read on just having ideas about interacting with people, getting along with a diverse range of people, and given the discussion we had on community, I think that's one that's worth checking out. Um, have I ever told you I hate the word community, by the way? It's one of yeah, my, yeah, one of my weird, yeah. Weird it's like the word sustainable. Oh, yeah. Awful, horrible. Um, so uh, my recommendation again, I may, this might've been recommended before our memories are bad and uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to go through and look, but I, I'm going to, this is just a phenomenal book, how I found freedom in an unfree world by Harry Brown. And it's, it's really in many ways, that book is sort of the philosophy of this podcast. You know, we talked about what do, what do people share in common? And if you were to say that the, the common theme shared in this podcast and probably by all the listeners, it's not going to be religious or political or educational beliefs. There's going to be a lot of similarity there in many of those areas, but it's not going to be, that's not the main thing. The main thing is, is more or less embodied in this book by Harry Brown, how I found freedom in an unfree world. And it's really about taking the concept of freedom out of merely the political realm and understanding the power of freedom in the personal realm and how your freedom belongs to you, regardless of circumstance and challenges you face. And it begins with the mindset and approach you take. Such a, such a good book. I think it's out of print, so it's like kind of expensive to get. But if you Google around, there's usually some free PDFs or something online. So that would be my recommendation. All right, man. Till All next right, Friday. Brother. Till next Friday. All right, come back to the hive for some honey. Some, <laughs> I don't know. See what the buzz is. <laughs> 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 Peace out, man. Peace.